Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using our ministry to impact lives. So if you have a story to share, please email us at impact at jfc.org. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, go to jfc.org and click on the Give tab so that we can keep providing messages just like this one to you every week. We're in our current series, Faith, where we're walking through what it looks like to trust God no matter the circumstances. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susan Cowdery. And I'm Brian Cowdery. We've been married, it'll be 13 years this May. Um, I work here at uh, Jubilee. I'm the nursery coordinator down at the Castle Rock campus. And I'm a project uh, engineer at Lockheed Martin um, over in Littleton. Yeah, so we got married in May and then uh, in, was it July? July, yeah, two months later. later, um, We were in a hospital room and the doctor was explaining to us that uh, Brian had stage four um, Hodgkin's and not Hodgkin's lymphoma. and I, I don't know, we were just kind of reeling, like, what does that mean? Like, mm. we just took our vows and said, I do, and said, till death do us part, and you're telling me that that could be in six months. So I don't know what that means. It just comes like a big wave, and you really don't process it, or you, you don't even know. You just kind of just take it all in, you know, and you, it's really um, overwhelming, but there's really no room to react. Yeah, and the doctor looked at us and said, this is probably going to make him sterile. Um, and I, I, of course, started to reel because I was like, all I've ever wanted to be was a mom. Like, and you're telling me that we may never have children. And we went through the transplant, and then, and then it was just recovery, like recovery from what they had done to him. Um, and then we started talking about kids, like, what do we have to do? So we started talking to more doctors, and um, we had to do uh, IVF and vitro fertilization. They put two embryos in. We only had two embryos. Yeah, we only had two embryos. Like, we thought we'd have, like, 15, and <laughs> we were all terrified, and they said, we only have two that are healthy, and we said, okay, let's go for it. And they put two in, and I wish that I could say that it was with, like, this amazing faith. Um, but it wasn't like I, they put two in and I was a wreck. I was a ball of worry and fear and stress. And, um, we went back to the doctor and they said they both took and you're having twins. I was so just wrapped up in just this fear that somehow this chance that he had given us to be parents, I was going to mess up. I totally just took it all on myself. I just took this, this weight of like, this is my responsibility. And then they were born early. So they were born at 29 weeks. Yeah. We just, then we kind of learned to operate in faith. Like, yeah. okay, we're just going to trust that God has a plan in this. He's had a plan in all of it. He's the same God that he was yesterday. And we're going to move forward. I would look at pictures of our family and, and there was someone missing. Like I could almost feel them. Like there's someone who's supposed to be a part of our family. So we um, kind of started this process of what does that mean for us to have more kids? And so we went uh, back to the doctor and Brian was tested and they said, yep, he's still sterile, you can't have kids. Um, so if you wanna have kids, you gotta do IVF again. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't, I just can't do it. It was so hard. Not just um, physically, I mean the cost of it too, you know? We had just kind of been praying and trying to figure out what to do. And so finally we kind of came to this crossroads where it was like, okay, God, I know that you've put this desire in our heart for this baby. And I have no idea how this is going to happen. And we had been kind of, I told people, I was like, I finally said to Brian, I think I've been for a really long time wishing that he would heal you and not really actually praying in faith that he would heal you. For the first time, we got away from like, God is all these things. 
to like, I truly know that you are these things. Like, I really truly believe you can heal him and that you will. You say that you can heal, you say that you want to, you say that you are good, and we believe all these things about you, God. And we're gonna we're gonna believe it. We're gonna actually believe it. Um, we were pregnant and and there was no explanation from any doctor. With the smallest amount of faith I could muster, he responded with this amazing gift to us. Um, and not because we were had some type of like, you know, Moses type faith but because we just said, okay, yeah, you're gonna believe that you can do this and that you will. I had this tiny little mustard seed of faith through the whole thing, this tiny little, like, I do know that God's good. And he was faithful to that tiny little piece of faith that I had. It wasn't this, I had this rock solid, steadfast faith through the whole thing. And, and because of that, God was faithful to us and saved our babies. I just down deep in my core, I know that God's good. And and that little tiny bit of me saying, I know that you're good, even though I can't see any of it at this moment, and I'm literally like drowning in fear. Um, God still responded in faithfulness to my tiny little seed of faith and was so good, so far beyond what anything that we could even imagine. He was so good. Good morning. Glad that you're here uh, on your notes. You can follow along if you want to. Um, right before we get there, I've got two things real quick that I was asked uh, to, to talk to you about. The first one, we've got a, uh, a junior high um, um, retreat coming up. It's uh, just in a couple of weeks. And what, what they generally like me to do, I, I think they think that somehow my words are more magic than somebody else's. And so they're like, Pastor, please caress this for us, if you will. So I told him I would do it, and um, I was trying to think, God, what would I say about a junior high retreat? Because it's been a long time since I've had junior hires, to be honest with you. And I was thinking and thinking, and um, when I was putting together the list of, uh, of how we do the weekend, the Lord brought back a really cool memory for me. So we raised five, and uh, our two oldest are in their 30s, and then I've got three in their 20s. Our youngest are now 24, they're twins. And I remember one of their junior high retreats here at the church, they had fought me and fought me. Dad, we don't want to go to the retreat. And I used to pull the ultimate nuclear bomb out. I'm the pastor and you're going. That's just all there is to it, right? And they would, they would just be like, Dad, we have sports and Dad, our friends and all, all the different reasons. And I, I got that. But I would just tell them, you know, guys, Mom and I just pray and pray and pray that you're going to have your own experience with God, not the one that we talk about, not the one that your brothers and sisters have had. You're going to have your own experience with God and that's going to be the thing that gets you through life when you start to grow up. And so we just used to say, hey, there's just, uh, you know, we're, we're, as, as PKs, pastor's kids, I tried to be real careful with them, not force them into a fishbowl. But there were just certain things I just said, look, I just, it's not because you, you need to. It's because we have this expectation. We're praying and we want to put you in a place where God could do it. And I remember um, they were probably, it was probably their eighth grade uh, year and, of course, they were getting real busy with sports, and they had so much going on. But I just asked them, you know, go to this, go to this retreat. I just think that God's going to do something. I remember both of them at separate times um, 
had the Lord speak to them. And they came home so excited from that retreat. And of course, we were thrilled, but then it turned into the whole thing. Dad, we're doing it wrong. We, we've got to change everything the way we do at our house. And I'm like, hey, I'm the pastor. I know how we're supposed to do it here at the house. <laughs> say all that to say this. The years have gone by, and uh, many of my children are married, and they have their own children now. You don't know what you have really with kids until they hit that mid-20, late-20, early-30 part of life. Before that, they're still trying to figure it out too, and they're going off of a lot of just sort of your faith and a lot of the things that you've taught them. But at some point, if it's going to be genuine and real to them, they have to develop their own faith. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. they got to have their own. Yes. When I look back and I think, what did we do right and what did we do wrong? I could laugh about a lot of things that we, we thought were so serious and that we, we, we've got to get this. And they were just, they were more for Chris and I than they were for the kids. But the things that I don't regret and that I remember, the mission trips that we invested in, uh, the places where they served in ministry that taught them to have a servant's heart, and the times where they experienced for themselves the power of God. Not what mom and dad said, and not what they heard someone else teach, but for themselves they experienced the reality of God in their lives. Those are the things that have remained 10, 15, even 20 years later, to be honest with you. And I would encourage you, if you're the parent of a junior higher, or maybe you're a junior higher sitting in here today thinking, I don't know if I would want to risk something like that. We only do it for one reason. We do it because we believe it's set up for you or for your child to encounter the reality of God, the spirit of God, the power of God. And those are the things that are going to change lives in the long term. And I would encourage you, if you sit here today maybe thinking, should I or shouldn't I? Always, always take a chance on God doing something in your kid's life. That's what you always want to go after right there. The other thing I would just share with you, if you were here last week, we had Pastor Evan here. Evan used to be on staff with us at one time. Evan plants a church, and his very first morning is right now. Can you imagine the panic on Pastor Evan right now? So we had Evan. I'll just tell the story again. When Evan came and said, hey, I want to plant a church, we just decided let's make this something that people could look at and say that's the way you plant a church. So what we did for Evan, we paid his salary for the entire time once he quit until he got his church started this week. We paid his salary, his regular salary and his insurance the whole time so that he could focus on getting his church started. Uh, instead of telling Ev, hey, you need to go uh, to another city, I said to him, we got two million people here in Metro Denver and we're not coming close to reaching this city, so stay in this city, lock arms with me and let's plant a church right here, Evan. It doesn't have to be our church, it's your church. Do your thing, but let us help you stay here in the city. Um, then I knew he's been a great pastor. He and Emily did a really good job at Lakewood. And I knew a lot of people at that church were going to see Evan as their pastor, and they were going to go with him. I calculated that, and I just told him, anybody that wants to go with you has my blessing, man. We can let them go. You're going to need those people to make it happen, and we're just going to consider it part of what we're sowing into your church. And so he got to have a bunch of families that went with him. And then last week we let him teach, and we took an offering, and I wanted to tell you, you gave him $20,000 last week to invest in his church. That's, yeah. So hear it from me. Hear this from me. Look at me. So many times when pastors talk about money, it seems like they're scolding. Hear it from me. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for praying for him. Thank you for cheering for him. Thank you for giving to that ministry. Um, here, here's the one thing in my job I don't let anybody else do. When it comes to giving away your money, I always do it firsthand, man. That's just the way that it is. It's such a pleasure for me to be able to do. 
I met with him at Starbucks on Tuesday. I just told him, hey, we've turned your check around real quick. And if you have time to meet with me, here's what I said. I know you're real busy, but maybe you have time to meet with me. I got an instant text back from Evan. Like, I can meet you right now, right? We're on the spot. So we met at Starbucks. And I said, Ev, the church gave you uh, $20,000. And I'm sure there's probably more that'll come in over the next couple of weeks. Man, he is weeping in Starbucks, which makes me start crying in Starbucks. (laughs) You'd have thought it was like a disaster that happened. But we just rejoiced in what the Lord did, and I just wanted to say thank you for that. Well done. It was the right thing to do. Folks, we have set a precedent for the way to do things in the kingdom of God. And you might ask yourself, why that kind of generosity? Because we want God to be represented as always having his hands out this way towards us, yes or no. We don't want to ever present God as this way. Our God is generous with us, and we're most like our Father when we do what our Father does. That's what I believe. And so well done on your part. All right, enough announcements. Let's jump into this. Our new series is about faith. And I want to pray real quick, and I want to refocus us on the opportunity to teach this. Uh, Here's the three things that our staff prayed this week for you. Um, It was three types of people when it came to faith. The first one just simply is this. Maybe you walk in here this weekend, you have no faith. Let's not assume that everybody that comes to our church is in a great place with faith. Maybe somebody's visiting today, or maybe somebody's had a really bad experience and it's stolen faith. The Bible actually talks about people whose faith can get shipwrecked, meaning it just gets wrecked. It gets caught up in a place and it can't move on. So our prayer for you this morning would be that God would revive your faith, that God could bring healing to you and life to you and some type of trust again where your faith can go on because faith is really important. Uh, The second person that we've been praying for this week would be a person who comes in, and your faith is just simply going through a trial. Sometimes our faith gets tested. Sometimes what we believe gets put on the line. Sometimes it's through a relationship, or it's through finances, or it's through health, or it's just through a situation, and all of a sudden our faith is tested. We're wondering if we'll pass the test. I heard a guy teaching about faith this week, and he said this really, of all the things he said, this one just stuck with me. He said, when it comes to faith, most people do the beginning of faith well, and they do the end of faith well, It's this 50-year chunk in the middle that we have trouble with. (laughs) And I thought, that's pretty good, man. Maybe you're having trouble. So our prayer would be that not only would you pass your test, but you'd sail right on through and you'd be strengthened. And then, here's what I believe to be true today. Some people are in here today and your faith is really strong. Here's what I know. Faith like that spreads. Fear can spread, but faith can spread too. And what I would love for our church is to have that kind of strong faith spread where people hear testimonies about what God did for someone else and believe God will do that for me too. Because God is faithful and he treats us the same. He doesn't show favoritism. So let me just pray and let's open our hearts to that. Father, take this few minutes that we have right now. And God, as we talk about faith, Lord, if people's faith is shipwrecked, would you heal today? If people's faith is being tested would you strengthen today? And if people walk in here full of faith, would you spread it today? Lord, I just thank you for focusing us right now. God, help our hearts to hear and receive. And Lord, produce faith. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. About three weeks ago, Chris and I had a really sweet invitation to go and teach at a marriage conference. Normally, I get them and not my wife, but this time we got it as a couple. And my wife doesn't like to get up in front of people a lot, but in the right situation at the right time, that woman has a lot to say. And we were at this retreat, and on Saturday morning, 
Um, we had divvied up who was going to do what, and she was going to start. Man, she got up, and she just took over, and I was sitting there, and I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye in the place as she taught. She actually, out of the blue, talked about the day that I had the heart attack in September and what the first 24 hours were like. Imagine talking to a room full of people who are struggling with marriage or wanting to improve their marriage or increase their marriage, and all of a sudden she's just saying, you know, all the stuff that we worry so much about can be easily separated when it comes down to life and death. All of a sudden you'll be real grateful for what you have. Amen. And she just started talking about this, and I could see faith in people to believe for their marriage. It was really cool, really exciting. That's not the story, though. We were in Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Pretty town. Probably it's the boulder of North Carolina. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. Something like, oh. What? That's not, I didn't. That was unsolicited. You died. I did not. All I did was, was very, uh, it's a very beautiful town. It's a college town, and it's sort of right in their foothill mountain area. It's really pretty. We had a great time, but it's a small town, small airport, and by the time we got done on Sunday, the flight out was like 5 o'clock at nighttime, and there's no direct between there and Denver, so we go to Chicago. We got a layover in Chicago. By the time we make it back to Denver, it's almost 10 o'clock at nighttime. By the time we get our luggage and we get in our car, you know how it gets at nighttime in the winter. It's cold. It's quiet. I jump in the car and I start it up. It's her car. And the gas gauge reads an eighth of a tank. I live almost 40 miles from the airport. So I begin to do the calculation in my head, and I know that I know we cannot go 40 miles on an eighth of a tank. So I look at her and I said, did you not fill your car up before we went to the airport? And she said, listen to me. She said, I filled this car up before we left. That tank is full. And I said, well, the gas gauge says empty. She goes, trust me. Back that car out. I pay my fee. I get on Pina. I get on E470. You know what it looks like out there by the airport? There's not a lot around. And all of a sudden, the car begins to ding. Bing, bing, bing. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. She has a little computer that tells you exactly how far you can drive on the gas that's in it. And here's what it said. You can go 15 miles. And how many miles do I have to go? 40. See any problem? So I look at her again and I say, Chris, we're going to run out of gas and there's no place to stop out here. And then my imagination takes over because I'm thinking, do I leave her in the car? Do I take her with me? And who's going to pick us up at 11 o'clock at nighttime? And if they do, they'll kill me and take her someplace. God, no. I mean, just nobody else ever thinks that way, apparently. You're all like, it's all... All good. And I can feel my blood pressure rising. And I can feel this anger, this subtle anger. And it's really quiet between the two of us. And I look at her again and I said, I've got to find a gas station. And she said, don't you trust me? So I drove a little farther. Now the car's really bing, 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 bing. Now the computer's down to like 10 miles. Now the gas gauge is all the way down to the bottom of the red, and I'm like, we are going to run out of gas. I said, Chris, what are we going to do? And she said, John, I'm not a liar. So now my mind goes the other direction. What could have happened while we were in North Carolina to our car? So I said, is it possible someone siphoned the gas out of the car? And she said, what do you think this is, 1976, and we're having a gas crisis? <laughs> 
said, no, something's wrong. And she said, listen, she said, every once in a while, the computer in the car doesn't read right. She said, but wait a little while. And what I told you is true. She said, John, do I lie? And I said, no, you don't. But I said, I don't think the car does either. (laughs) And I looked at my wife, and I said, we've been married for 34 years, and we've known each other for almost 37. And I said, everything about your character is just what you said. If you said you did it, you did it. And I'm going to drive this car until either it runs out of gas or I pull in our driveway one way or the other, but I'm going to trust you. And within moments, and I am not making this up, that gas gauge goes just like this. The computer goes off, the lights quit flashing, and she goes, told ya. I'm not making it up. And I didn't create that to have an illustration. That happened to us three weeks ago. And from that point to my house, I thought that's exactly the way faith works. Because the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And yes or no, when it comes to God, we have these two choices. We believe in the character and the nature of how good he is. Or we look at the evidence around us that screams the opposite and we have to make a decision. If you put your faith and trust in God, there's a peace that comes with that. And ultimately, there's the opportunity to talk about how God got you through something that otherwise is impossible. Or you put your faith and your trust in all the evidence that you see, and yes or no, chaos takes over. But the worst thing is it affects the relationship between you and the one you trust. That's true. That's true. Did you just hear what I said? Yes, sir. The worst thing about it is not whether or not you pulled off the highway or you freaked out, but it affects the relationship between you and the one that you trust. The look on her face was, don't you believe me? After everything we've been through and all that we've done, don't you believe me? And when I really think about it, yep, you've never given me any reason not to trust you. Look at all the evidence. And the evidence is not quiet. It's screaming and blinking and flashing at me. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> you got to be a certain age to get that one. <laughs> Hebrews eleven six. For those who uh, know scripture, you know this to be true. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the book of Hebrews, part of it was written to a church that struggled with faith. Struggling with faith is not a 2017 issue. Struggling with faith is as long as written humanity has been around. People have struggled with faith. It's not easy. Belief is not always easy. It's not easy to make that leap. It's not easy to trust. It's not easy to say, God, yes. Paul writes these really powerful words to this group of believers who lived 2,000 years ago. Without what? Faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe first that he exists, and then this part, and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And I just want you to get the context of this. This wasn't written last week to people are being taught that God's existence is in question. This is written 2,000 years ago to people just like us without all the other stuff who are being told, where is God? If he's really there, point to him. If he's really there, let's talk to him. And the only evidence of God is the things that he does, what he creates, what he speaks to our hearts, 
the outcomes of things that we pray about or the reality of the nature of God that's evidence in the universe. But the reality is people had the same question. If he's there, just point to him. To believe in God always takes some leap of faith. Do you agree with that? That's what this scripture says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who approach God have to believe first that he exists. There's a leap of faith there. But the most important part about that scripture that I love, it's not whether or not you're willing to take the leap of faith. It's what it says about God. If you're willing to take the leap of faith, God is good. He's a rewarder of those who take that leap of faith. The very first thing the scripture teaches us when it comes to faith is that it has to be based on the goodness of God, not on whether you can figure it all out in your head. So let me say to you this way. Every relationship that you have in life that's good took a leap of faith on your part at some level. If you got married, let me try that again. If you're married, I want you to raise your hand. So if you ever got married, at some point there was a leap of faith on your part that it was going to be good. I've never had anybody come in and go, this is the worst decision of my life. Would you please marry us right, right now? Now, later on, they've come in and said, this was the worst decision of my life. But that's speaking to something else. When they come initially, there's a leap of faith that says, I don't know everything there is to know, but I make that assumption that this is going to be good, yes or no. Any friendship that you have has to make. We talk about it like it's such a difficult thing, but we do it in our natural life and you have to do it in your spiritual life, there has to be an assumption if you're going to believe in God that God is good. If you wanted to know what I would base this series about, faith for faith's sake is not the issue. Here's why you have faith. If you know the character of God, it will develop faith in you. If you feel like your faith is shipwrecked, struggling, or in a good place, all three connect back to this one thing. What you need to do if you're shipwrecked is know God in a better way. If you're struggling, you need to hold on to God in a greater way. And if you're in a good place, dude, dive into God like you never have before. All of them are connected to your relationship with God. You got a pen and you want to fill this in. It's just real simple. Let me give you just three things I just think that all faith has to be based on uh, three, three easy assumptions here that will just help your faith run smoothly. The first one just is what I said God is good. God is good. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 11, this is Jesus talking. Remember, Jesus is the revealed heart of God on the earth. Jesus is not just some uh, lone ranger doing his own thing, trying to represent what he thinks God is. In fact, here's what Jesus said. I don't say anything and I don't do anything unless I heard the Father and saw the Father do it first. So everything Jesus does is to reveal how God feels and what God thinks. So a lot of times when we're like, I wonder how God feels about people or how God feels about marriage or how God feels about sinners or how God feels about death and disease. Look at what Jesus did in those situations. That's how God feels. If you want to know if God's compassionate, look at Jesus. If you want to know if God loves you, look at Jesus. Jesus is the revealed heart of God. So when Jesus teaches, he's teaching what he heard God say. And this is what Jesus said. If you... And the context is here, fathers, but you could put mothers or parents. If you parents, imperfect as you are, how many imperfect people do I have in here? Just come on, please. If you're like, I'm not raising my hand. You're the one I'm trying to get to. If you as a parent are imperfect, and even though you're imperfect, you know how to give good gifts to your children, he just makes a comparison. How much more will your father in heaven 
give good things to those who ask him. Everything Jesus did is to reveal the heart of God. And so here's what he's saying. Even parents who aren't perfect know how to love their kids. They want to bless their kids. They want to take care of their kids. They want to do good things for their kids. If that's true and you're not perfect, think about our perfect heavenly father, how good he is. If you want to do good things, multiply that exponentially as to how much God wants to do in your life. You're his kid. He loves you. All faith in God has to be based above everything else on the fact that God is good. If you get that right, everything goes right. If you get that one little fact wrong, your faith will eventually end up stuttering, tripping, and falling. Because as soon as the dashboard of life begins to bing, your faith will get caught up in what you see and not what you know. Did you just hear what I said? You've got to base your faith on the fact that God is good. I've taught this for 19 years. I've stood in this pulpit for 19 years and said these three things. If you're like, Pastor, you are so redundant. Why do you say those things over and over again? Because if you're going to build your life on one thing, build your life on this fact. God's will for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will for you is good, pleasing and perfect. And if you're like, I've been there and I've heard that so many times, you poor thing that your pastor would stand up here for 19 years and tell you God is good, pleasing and perfect to you. Amen. You bet I will, I will say that until I die. God's will for your life is good, pleasing and perfect. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that. The benefit of a renewed mind is that it knows God's will is good, pleasing and perfect. If that's true and God wants good, pleasing and perfect things for you, why is it then that people can suffer? Why is it we experience loss? Why, if God is so good, can our lives hurt so bad at times? So let me answer it. It's not a one-dimensional or an exhaustive answer, but it is one that I can maybe get you to see a little bit of a conclusion. If God is good, but you got bad stuff going on, that's not proof that God isn't good. That's the proof that you have an enemy who hates you. And who is trying to fight against you. In John chapter 10, Jesus taught these words about the thief. The thief comes for these three purposes. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you find something in your life missing. If you find something in your life dying. If you find something in your life that's crumbling, it's not the proof that God is not good or that God doesn't love you or that God's not powerful. It's the proof you live in a fallen world with an enemy trying to get you. Sometimes we don't like that. And here's what we think, that there should be a bubble or a force field around me because I love Jesus. But Jesus never taught those things. He never said those things. He never got into those things. Jesus actually said, in the world you can have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. He gives us the way over it, not always around it. Make sense? The book of Job. I've never taught a series on the book of Job. Right now, my personal study, not for you but for me, I'm reading the book of Job. It's my third time through it in the last couple of months. It's basically 40 chapters. If you know anything about the book of Job, it begins, it's the oldest book of the Bible. They're not exactly sure on when it was written. 
The book of Job's a really interesting book. Job's life was like this long before we read about him. And afterwards, it's like this long, but all we have is this little sliver of a couple of years of his life that we read about. And it's a confusing book to me. I, I don't know how to understand it. And the problem is, I teach theology. I've got a Bible degree. And I can't understand this book. It begins with the enemy coming before God with all the other angels and God saying to the enemy, have you considered my servant Job? Why does God even bring it up? The devil goes, well, of course he loves you. Look how much you've blessed him. And God goes, so you think it's just because I blessed him? The devil says, you bet. Take your blessing away and he'll curse you. So God tells the enemy, fine. You can take everything he has but his life. That's hard for me to understand. I don't read that anyplace else in the Bible. I've tried to read as many interpretations of that to try to get the idea of what's going on here. And I just, to be honest with you, my conclusion, the reason I've never taught a series on it is I don't know how to understand that portion of Scripture right there. But lest you think I bring this up just to leave you on a cliff, there's a verse in chapter 1 that maybe the whole thing is about this one little verse. Job goes through this incredibly difficult time and it looks like the Lord is sort of playing a game with him but I don't believe that to be true. It has to be, look, just because I don't understand it doesn't change the reality that God is good. At some level, I don't adjust my theology to things I don't understand. I adjust my belief to what God said. Even if I don't understand it. Did you just... Get what I said? We're quick to adjust our... Bad theology comes from things we don't understand. We change our theology. This one verse in Job, he goes through those incredibly difficult days. And in Job chapter 1, verse 22, here's a conclusion that it says, in all of this, in all he went through, in all of this... Job did not sin by blaming God. Maybe the whole thing, maybe the whole story, as, as difficult as it is to read and all the, and we don't, maybe the whole thing is just about that, even when we don't understand, and we're not the ones who experienced it. We just read about it. If the one who went through it could do the one thing that's right, even when he didn't understand it, he didn't blame God. He didn't sin by blaming God. If we could ever learn to do that in life, that even when we don't understand it, instead of blaming God, we just go, I don't understand it, but I still trust and believe God. Do you hear what I said? Let's give you the second one. So the first one's God is good. The second one just simply is this. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but you do need to account for this. Sometimes life has trouble. It doesn't have anything to do with God being good or bad. We live in a fallen world. It's not the conditions God created it originally. He gave us the keys and we turned the keys over to the enemy. Of course he wrecked it in the ditch. Want a quick story? I grew up in Louisiana. In Louisiana, when you're 15, you can get your driver's license. 15. Can you imagine how dangerous you would have been at 15 with a driver's license? I was dangerous, man. The day I got my license, I could not wait to get my license. I could not wait to drive the car. She had a 76 Ford LTD. I could not wait. 
to get behind the wheel of that car, man. I come home with my license. We go in the house, and I said, please let me drive by myself. She said, all right, run to the store and get some milk and come right home. Yes, ma'am. I jumped in the car and went right to my girlfriend's house. <laughs> she jumped in the car, and she looked at me, and she said, can I drive? And I said, oh, yeah, man. I handed her the keys. Pulling out of her house, I don't know if she missed the brake and hit the gas. I don't, know what, I don't know what happened exactly, but she went right across the street and went right down in a ditch. So the back end of the car is up in the air, and the front end of the car is down in the ditch. Do you remember how long those cars were back at that time? And I'm looking at her like, how could you do this? What am I going to tell my mom? I'm supposed to be getting milk right now. So the cops have to come, then the wrecker has to come, and then my mom came. And she took my license away right on the spot, man. She said, you're not ready to drive. Oh, that hurt my feelings so bad. She was right. We got home, and she said, you let her drive, and she doesn't have a driver's license. What did you think was going to happen? I thought I was going to get kissed. I don't know for sure, but I, it didn't look like this. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. God gave the keys to the car to man and said, here's the one thing you don't do. Do not give in to the enemy. And the very thing we did was hand him the keys, and of course he wrecked the car. And then we live with the results of the wreck, and we blame. It would be like me blaming my mom. How could you give me the keys to the car? How dumb were you to give me the keys to the car? What kind of a mother would give me the keys to the car? And yet we'll rail at God. How could you let this happen? Yes or no? Is a powerful analogy. Because we just shake our fist. And he's like, you were driving. You let her drive. Real faith doesn't mean you won't experience problems. In fact, it's just the opposite. If you actually begin to walk in faith and trust God and you begin to press into that, you have to know that the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you. So maybe this, is, maybe this is a truth. If you're going this way and you have resistance, maybe you're walking the right way. And if you're going this way and the devil's patting you on the back, maybe you're going the wrong way. Maybe the resistance is proof of faith in action. Real faith doesn't mean you won't experience problems. Real faith means that despite the problems, God calls you to overcome. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5, real faith. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Look at this, our faith. Who is that? Who overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The very faith that you had when you came to God to believe that he exists and that he's good that little faith right there that you have is enough to overcome the whole world. You don't need to pray for more faith. You don't have to try to whip up faith. You don't have to try to get it inside. I had a guy tell me last night, man, I go in my prayer closet and I ask God for faith all the time. And this is what I told him. Go in your prayer closet and just ask to know God. Know God. And you'll have all the faith you need, man. You don't need faith in your faith. You need faith in God. You'll have faith in faith. 
Life has trouble. Sometimes we have a heart attack. And God is still good. Sometimes we have special needs children. And God is still good. Somebody stole my check card two weeks ago. Got my number and charged up unbelievable amount of stuff in different parts of the world. And I had to spend days trying to undo what some idiot, and he is an idiot, (laughs) did to me. God is still faithful. Sometimes we have trouble in the world, but God is still faithful to us. What do we say when things just simply don't make sense? Paul was really wise when he penned these words. This is from the book of Romans. And it's eight verses. And I want you to get it in light of what I'm saying when we have trouble, but we hold on to our faith. What then shall we say in response to these things, these troubles? If God is for us, who actually can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also along with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God now and is interceding for us, praying for us, cheering for us, pulling for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? It's written, for your sake we face death or trouble or persecution all day long. We're considered as sheep that are being slaughtered. Nope. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers height or depth, anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a powerful verse of scripture. What makes it more powerful is this is a guy who's experiencing trouble when he writes these words. He doesn't write them because he just got the new Mercedes. He writes them as he's being abused for the sake of Christ and he just says this, you know what? It's just temporary. Which is really the last thing that I would tell you. Remember, there's a heaven. Look at me real quick. We don't talk about heaven much, and most of us focus on our life here and now, and that's fine. You ever look at a tombstone? It lists the day you're born and the day you die. For me, it's 64, and I'll probably die in 2075. Some of you are quicker than others. You could tell by the, oh, yeah, 100, 110 years. Uh, Who knows? But the one defining thing is it'll say 64 dash whatever year. And that dash is supposed to represent everything. And sometimes believers get so fixated on that dash, and I would just use that dash real quickly in light of eternity. That dash is this long, and eternity is without end. Not everything that God wants to do in your life is for the dash. No, hey, look at me real quick. Not everything that God wants to do in your life is for the dash today. Some things are for heaven tomorrow. If you get healed in this life, it's still only temporary. If 
you get rich in this life, it's only temporary. If you have children in this life, it's temporary. Some things are about then and there too. God created heaven. It's not a place with clouds and angels and harps and grapes. It's a country. Designed with you in mind. He knows what will satisfy you. He knows how to make you happy. He knows that he's built it in a way that when he comes and he takes you there, man, you're going to go, I get it. When we see from this perspective, we only see up, but from there we look down and we'll see it all. That's God's perspective. Sometimes when we pray and we go do it now, God goes, it won't work for you right now, but in eternity, it'll work forever for you. And you won't ever look at him then and go, why didn't you? Then you'll thank him for waiting to give you something that will take care of you forever. Don't believe that? The last book of the Bible is Revelation. Some people only see it as some kind of a prophetic map. Really, the whole title of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the actual title of the book. It's supposed to reveal to us Jesus, and remember, Jesus is the revelation of God, how he feels and how he thinks and what he does. The book of Revelation has this really sweet scripture that when I don't understand everything or I can't get it all to come together or when I can't reconcile everything and I just, God, when I pray and it doesn't come true and God, when I believe and I see it happen in the Bible here but it doesn't seem to be happening for me and God, I, I comfort myself with these words. Maybe they'll be of comfort to you. God will wipe every tear from their eyes himself. And at that point, there'll be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain because the old order of things, the dash, has stopped and now eternity begins. And the reason there's no more crying and death and mourning and pain is because those things only exist on the dash. They don't exist in the country called heaven. Heaven's real, baby. Heaven's real. And it's not some place where you sit on a cloud eating a grape. You'll be satisfied and you'll be taken care of. And you'll learn and you'll know and you'll be recognized and you'll know. Eye is not seen. Ear is not heard. Neither is it entered into the imagine of man what God has prepared for them from the beginning of time. You have no idea. Remember, when you can't make it all work out, there's still heaven. There's still heaven. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the chance to talk to people that I love about you. And God, I would just pray today that, Lord, people, again, some feel shipwrecked right now and they're hurting bad. And I pray my words would not be, um, would not be words that would get you more stuck. I pray that they would be words that might help you repair that vessel so that you can sail on. You can re-enter life and you can get to the destination you need to go to. If your faith is being challenged today, tested, my goodness, maybe you feel like you're in the fire. I would just remind you, just what Paul said is true. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. God's will for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. And even today, if you're being tested, there's a reason for it and there's another side to it. And if you come in today, man, and you are strong in faith, oh my goodness, what I would pray is that the Lord would cause you to be infectious 
Spread that faith, man. Give an accounting for the hope that's inside of you. Speak it out. But all together, I pray that the Lord would strengthen us in a relationship with him so that our faith would grow and we would know and we would become. And that the very best version of ourself that could be lived during the dash would happen. I thank the Lord for his faithfulness to us today, for explaining things to us and helping us. And I thank the Lord for you. And I pray that in his name. Amen.